Legends of the Craft. Myth, legend, and inspirational stories from Freemasonry. Today we will tell a Masonic legend that all Masons should know, but few have heard. Let us go back thousands of years to the land of Israel. When the children of Israel had repeatedly forsaken the laws of their forefathers, and long persisted in their idolatrous ways, the Almighty thought proper to afflict them with many punishments, one of the most grievous of which was subjecting them to the inroads and oppressions of neighboring Gentile nations. When, however, the people repented of their idolatry and humbled themselves before the true God, He never failed to raise them up a champion and deliverer. There lived in Israel a man of repute whose name was Gilead, and who had many sons, but one in particular called Jephthah, whom he had by a harlot. Gilead dying and his sons being grown up, they expelled Jephthah from his father's house, saying, Thinkest thou who are but the son of a bondwoman to inherit with us who are freeborn? Jephthah, being thus treated in his native country, and being of a daring spirit, determined to try his fortune in a foreign one. He accordingly repaired to the land of Tob, where by his great courage and skill he soon raised himself to be the leader of a small army, with which he made excursions into the enemy's country, frequently returning laden with rich spoils. At that time the Ammonites made war with the Gileadites, invading them with a formidable army, and not content with ravaging their country, they threatened to lay siege to the city of Gilead itself. The Gileadites, on their part, raised a numerous army to oppose them, but were in great distress for want of an experienced general to lead their troops to battle. In this extremity they thought of their countryman Jephthah, the fame of whose military exploits had by that time reached them. A deputation of the elders repaired to that chieftain, humbly soliciting him to take command of their army. Jephthah was much surprised at this reverse of fortune, and said to the elders, it was but the other day I was expelled my father's house, being deemed unworthy to inherit with the freeborn, but now in your time of need you have recourse to me? Recollecting it was his native country and his brethren, although unworthy, who were in distress, he told the elders that if they would consent to make him their chief general or governor for life, in case he returned victorious from the Ammonitish expedition, he would accept their offer. To this they readily assented, and Jephthah's title was soon afterwards ratified in the city of Gilead. In a full assembly of the chiefs of elders, Jephthah, being thus vested with full powers, reinforced the Gileadidish army with those veteran troops he had so successfully commanded. Being desirous, if possible, to spare the effusion of blood, he sent messages to the king of the Ammonites, requesting to know by what authority he invaded his country. That monarch haughtily answered that the country was not Jephthah's, but his, for that the Israelites had taken it from his forefathers on their way from Egypt to Canaan, the land where the majority of the people then dwelt. Jephthah replied, 
It was not from the Ammonites, but from the Amorites the country had been taken, and that if the law of conquest or prescription should give a people proper title to a territory, the Gileadites had an undoubted one, having been in possession of theirs for three hundred years. The king of the Ammonites, still continuing obstinate, Jephthah drew out his army in battle array and marched against the invaders, who were totally defeated and put into flight after a great slaughter. Following up their advantage, the Gileadites entered the enemy's territory and took the spoils of twenty towns. On his return, Jephthah met with great harassment from his neighbors, the Ephraimites, who had crossed the river Jordan in a hostile manner. The reason they assigned for this unfriendly visit was that they had not been called out to partake of the honors of the Ammonitish war, but their true aim was to partake of the rich spoils with which in consequence of that war Jephthah and his army were then laden. The Ephraimites had always been considered a clamorous and turbulent people but then broke out into open violence, and after many severe taunts to the Gileadites in general, threatened to destroy their victorious commander and his house with fire. Jephthah, on his part, tried all lenient means to appease them, but finding these ineffectual, had recourse to rigorous ones. He therefore drew out his army, gave the Ephraimites battle, defeated and put them into flight. And it was this day that during the harsh and tumultuous battle, seeing that the sun was setting in the west and needing but a few hours more to vanquish the Ephraimites, that Jephthah fell to his knees on the battlefield and took up a hailing sign to the Lord God, asking him to extend the light of day so that his noble labor could be completed. And being righteous in his request, the Lord granted him the light of day. Now to render his victory decisive, and to secure himself from like harassment in the future, he sent detachments of his army to secure the passages of the River Jordan, over which he knew the insurgents must of necessity attempt to go in order to regain their own country, giving strict orders to his guards that if a fugitive came that way, owning himself an Ephraimite, he should be immediately slain. But if he said no, he was not an Ephraimite, that a test word should be put to him. If they could not pronounce this word, they would be slain. Now the Ephraimites, from a defect in their peculiar dialect, could not pronounce this word properly. It was pronounced with a small variation, which gave them away as Ephraimites immediately, and cost them their lives. And scripture informs us that there fell on that day, on the field of battle, and on the banks of the Jordan, forty and two thousand Ephraimites. That's an amazing story, Brother Bungie. It's one of my favorites. It's absolutely one of my favorites. You know, and when I had joined Freemasonry, 
um, and gone through the various degrees, this is not one that is directly told to you in Freemasonry. You sort of have to uncover it by doing some research, you know, diving into some uh, book reading, and really understanding the Old Testament. But th this is this is the fabric of Freemasonry, and, and many Freemasons don't even know it themselves. It's an It's a great example of going forth and educating yourself. Uh, using the tools that masonry gives you to to discover the truth behind it it's a, it's it's a perfect example because it's relatively easy to find but you do have to look for it, it it's not hidden it's not there's no uh there's no personal interpretation to it. it it's there it's there for you but you do have to look for it a little bit and uh it, it's a great example of how masonry points you in the direction that you need to be pointed to discover these great things Freemasonry doesn't have a textbook, unless you consider Freemasons for dummies, which I haven't personally read. But besides that, it's not something you can just look up everything and just read it. You have to discover it. And, and like Brother Bungie says, it's not hidden. You just have to put some work into it. Freemasonry is not going to spill it out for you uh, on a plate. You have to go and discover the truths of Freemasonry. And this tale of Japheth uh, in ancient Israel is an amazing story to depict various aspects of, of how we should treat ourselves, how we should treat others, and in general, when people deserve things, how they should obtain those things, and when people don't deserve things, how they shouldn't be given those things. The story, it starts out with, uh, with Jephthah being born of a harlot. He was born, he was born of a concubine. He, he wasn't born of the noble mother that the rest of his, his brothers were born of. And because of that, he was exiled from his land. And uh, but he, this this didn't distress him as much as it would distress the rest of us. I'm sure it was a, it was an extremely distressing time for him. But he didn't lay down and die. He went forth to to the outskirts of Israel and uh, showed his worth, showed his merit and ability, and, and formed his own army and went on conquest and was extremely successful as a general of this small army. What is Freemasonry, uh, especially uh, the lessons of the second degree, but that of merit and ability? It is people get what they deserve, and you have to work for that. You can't just show up with open hands expecting to get a reward or payment or a title because you have a certain name. Exactly. Nobody owes anyone anything, and nobody, nobody owed Jephthah anything at that time. But he went forth and... He made a name of himself, and through his labor, then the Gileads owed him something. They owed him the honor that they took away from him in the beginning. Because of his merit and ability, he was recognized as a great general, as a great leader. It no longer mattered to them who his mother was. He had the abilities that they required to keep themselves alive. This sort of reminds me of some of the lessons of the York Rite degrees. Um, you have to you have to do what you have to do, whether it is work that is accepted or work that is rejected. And through doing what you have to do in life, you will ultimately receive recognition for your deeds. Maybe not now, maybe not in a few days or years, it may take decades, and it may not be even to your death, but all true labor is rewarded in the end. Absolutely. And, and that's just one of the aspects of that story. That, that's, there's so many. There's the, uh, another of the 
very obvious lessons of this story is the greed of the Ephraimites. Them showing up after the labor had been done, after the battle had been won, and looking for their piece of the spoils. You can't expect to get the spoils of a war if you didn't even contribute. And, and according to the story, Jephthah had asked the Ephraimites to enter the war against the Ammonites and assist him, and they had declined. But they showed up at the last moment as Jephthah was returning home with the spoils to say, Hey, where's our part of these spoils? That's just not right. You can't do that. And in our society today, in the United States and around the world, a lot of people have this mentality now, which is, I deserve all these things. Give them to me. When they haven't done anything to deserve those things. And that is not meeting on the level and acting on the plum. Absolutely not. It, it was recognized in this story as there was no explanation as to why they didn't deserve this. It was just immediately known. They, they didn't deserve these spoils. They did none of the work. They, they did not have any right to the rewards without participating in the labor. And there was no argument about that. What's interesting is that if you read uh, the Bible, Brother Bungie, and you read some of the commentary and, and various versions of the Bible, they have a very negative view of Jephthah as an opportunist, as someone that uh, was only looking out for his own interest. I don't see this. When I read the passages in the Bible that, that directly depict this story, I see a man who was cast out by his brethren, but still was not defeated. He rose up in skill and in name and came and defended and protected his people in the time of need. It would have been easy for him to say, you know what, you cast me out, I'm not going to protect you. You can protect yourselves. And they probably would have been defeated without his guidance. But he was there for his people. Now, again, people will say he's opportunist because he asked to become the leader of the people. But this is merit and ability. You know? if, if you want someone to lead you, then you have to accept that leadership. You can't say, well, I want you to leave me for five days and then you can go away. That's not how things work in the world. If you accept someone's leadership, then you have to accept it. Well, to, to secure his place in the society, I'm sure that I would want guarantees as well. If I had been exiled for no other reason than the greed of my brothers not wanting to share the inheritance with me, if I had been allowed to be exiled because my mother was was not a because she was a bondswoman because she was not of nobility, uh, I would want certain securities as well to guarantee that that wasn't going to happen again. Let's take an example today um, in, in corporate America. If you if you have a company that's failing and you ask someone to come rescue your company, well, that person's going to become the CEO. Because they have to execute a policy which to rebuild the company. No one is going to say, oh yeah, I'll rebuild your company um, for nothing. Or I'm going to rebuild your company and not have the power to actually do it. You have to be given certain powers to be able to execute the request that you've been, you've been asked. So uh, it was only logical that Jephthah became the leader of Israel. And honestly, if he's able to protect them from all these defeats and bring them the spoils of war, why he, why should not he be leader? Who should be leader then? Exactly. Uh, do you leave the same people, the, the people that couldn't lead the armies into battle as the leader? No, no. I, I believe it was absolutely justified uh, when they come to him and ask him to lead the nation that he secures that leadership if he can accomplish. And the leadership was contingent upon his victory against the Ammonites. He didn't say, make me your leader unconditionally, and I'll see what I can do. 
He said, if I can go in and defeat them, if I can lead this nation to victory, then I want to remain the leader of it. I see nothing wrong with that. be nice if our presidents had some kind of guarantee. If they could lead us Absolutely. to victory, then they could remain our presidents. That would, that would be wonderful in my eyes. Uh, and just for your information, if you do want to research the story more, Judges is where you want to look in the Old Testament. There's a lot of stories in there. Judges is where you will find the story of Jephthah. Another interesting aspect of the story is something what we didn't tell you in the story, but is is in the Bible, is that when uh, fighting against the Ammonites, Jephthah, um, uh, to get a guarantee from the Lord that he would have victory, uh, sacrificed his daughter, or or as it's put in the Bible, any the first thing to come out of his house would be a sacrifice to the Lord, which ended up being his first daughter and his only daughter. Um, many commentators believe that he actually had a human sacrifice, which I don't believe this is the truth because human sacrifices were not allowed in Israel, and he would not have been a leader, a judge of Israel, uh, if he was sacrificing human beings. What it seems like through the text is that he actually uh, guaranteed the virginity of his daughter, which effectively ended his posterity. Yes, he sacrificed his bloodline. He sacrificed his his daughter in the terms that uh, he gave her life unto the Lord. And she spent her life serving the Lord and not being a married woman and continuing his bloodline on. But this in itself shows the great acts that Jephthah took to protect his people and defend them from those neighbors that were trying to overtake them. He was willing to end his posterity even after having been kicked out and basically deported. He was able to make these sacrifices, and this is a hero. Yes, he he made a vow to the Lord, and after victory had been secured and he had returned home, how many of us today would would consider our obligations to be that meaningful that even though no one would judge us for not sacrificing our only child to the Lord after he had secured what what you had requested, uh, people today would still say, well, that's not right. He didn't know it would be his daughter. He can sacrifice something else. It's He took the obligation seriously, and although he would not be judged for, for not following through with it, he did follow through with his obligation because it was meaningful to him. Because he had made a vow to the Lord. And symbolically, we should take this story to remind us of our own vows and oaths that we take in Freemasonry. I mean, the accumulation of every degree in Freemasonry is an obligation which binds us to a higher moral law, to more duty within the craft. And, you know, we should not be continuing to take degrees if we're not willing to escalate the obligation to the craft. And I think many in our day and time do not take these obligations and vows seriously. They're something that you do at a meeting and they're nice, but how many of us really look at these vows and obligations as things we should be doing on a day-to-day basis? Uh, if I promise unto the Lord to do something and I believe in the Lord, then I should ultimately follow through with what I've taken an oath to do because otherwise I will be bound to that standard and if I don't follow up to it, I will be judged accordingly. Absolutely. It's it, when people take into consideration a, a, a fraternal order, when they when they consider fraternity these days, they think of Animal House and and <laughs> college frats. And that's that's not what it's meant to be. These wouldn't be called a solemn obligation if 
it wasn't meant to be taken seriously every day. You, you're given opportunities to consider these obligations. You, you, you don't have to, you don't take these obligations blindly. You can refuse them. They're not forced upon you. So when you willingly volunteer to take these obligations, you've locked yourself into them. You must follow through. It's a contract with God. And some people may say, that's not a big deal. But as someone becoming a Freemason, you are, you are affirming that you believe in a God and that you believe in an afterlife. And, and those things then do bind you to the truth of the obligation, which, which is centered around God himself. So we should follow the course of Jaltha and, and maintain our vow to the utmost and never think that they are too symbolic or they're something that are f fluid. They are static. They are words that are written in the heavens, and we have to follow them. And following through another aspect of this story, uh, which, which we touched upon but didn't really elaborate on, is, is the Ephraimites coming to, to claim things they didn't work for. There, there have been, you know, recently with, within our order, and I'm sure within all orders, um, there have been people that, that claim they're ready to receive the rewards. They're ready to collect higher degrees, even though they're their superiors have told them they are not. Uh, these people are trying to collect things that they haven't worked for. Uh, nobody knows what work is required except those who have already progressed to that degree. Those who are doing the work know what is required. And those who, who have not completed the work before, they, they don't know. They can assume that they're ready for this work. They're ready to take on these responsibilities. And that's another safeguard of these obligations is, is being a good sponsor and being a, a good leader to those that, that you are leading over and making sure that they don't step into these things before they are ready. And going forth and, and trying to claim these secrets and claim the higher degrees on your own, uh, it's not that hard these days. I mean, anybody can go and do it. Anybody can go down to the Barnes & Noble and pick up a book. I'm sure you can go to your public library and pick up a book for no cost and obtain these secrets. But they are ill-gotten and your just desserts will be served. The higher degrees are rewards for labor. They are not for you to uh, ponder certain truths only. They do indeed do that as well. But as you progress, at least, and this is on in terms of co-masonry, but degrees are given by merit and ability truly in our order. Uh, the degrees from the 30th to the 33rd are invitation only because those are the administrative degrees of our order. Those people are the ones that uh, make the decisions, that, that make the laws, that enforce the laws, that are in charge of areas of lodges and whatnot. And so those people have to be the best. And if they're not the best, then our order will fall. So those degrees are given to those that work the hardest, like Jaffa. And so let us not take these things for granted. Degrees are not just beautiful things for us to go through and ponder. It's not a status symbol. No, it is a reward. It is a rank for those that work hardest, just like in the military. A general is not commissioned a general because he's the nicest guy or because his dad was some important person, though that may happen from time to time. But there are generals because they that can... That might either... not be a good example at this point in time. No, no, probably not. But, but nevertheless, a general is made a general because he can fight the best. The president should be elected because he is the best to control the country. A senator should be, or a house of um, a representative should be elected because they're the best to represent the people. And in masonry, those should raise to the highest degrees 
because they have merited the ability to run the order. Absolutely. They're all, everybody's moving, moving towards those positions of leadership constantly within your Masonic career. Uh, and not just within Masonry. It's, it's, it is a symbol of your ability to lead people outside of Masonry as well. Those higher degrees, the, the leadership that you gain within Masonry, uh, it, it spreads through all, all aspects of your life. Uh, those who are great Masonic leaders, in turn, should be the kind of people that can go out and, and lead people in their personal lives, lead people in the profane world, people that should be able to go out and, and lead a company, lead a nation, lead armies. It is interesting that in Freemasonry, uh, particularly the Scottish Rite, once you've hit a certain degree, you become a knight. And you're a knight for the rest of your career in Freemasonry. Um, why is that? Well, because I think chivalry, knighthood, embodies responsibility. It is emblematic of a person who takes their vows seriously, takes their obligations seriously, so seriously that it becomes the focal point of their life. Many knightly orders, uh, the members would be chased. They would give up all their possessions and become penniless. That's a believer in the vows they've taken. Because it wouldn't be easy to, to, to give up and be chased and give up all your money and assets. But the knights of old did this because their vows to God were above all other things. And that being said, we as Freemasons are the knights of the modern time. Now, speaking of knights and, and vows to the Lord, uh, let's talk about when Jephthah dropped to his knees amidst this battle, this raging battle is going on, and he took the time to to drop to his knees in prayer and request more daylight so that he could accomplish his mission. And this is the end of a bloody battle. He's been fighting all day long. His people are tired. Their motivation has to be down. But he just wants to be able to finish the job that he started there. But he doesn't have enough daylight to complete it. So he doesn't whine about it, and he doesn't sulk about it. He drops to his knees, and he prays to God to have a little more time, a little more light of day to accomplish this task. And, and it is a righteous request. He didn't ask for more power. He did it on his own merit and ability. He only requested something that he had no control over. He could not control the light of day. So he asked for a little bit of help in that area that he could not control, what was outside of what could be accomplished through his own hard work. I don't know for how long I have seen the hailing sign and had no clue uh, the origin of its magnificence. It is truly the apex of the story of Jephthah, uh, that he, in humility, in the midst of blood, kneeled down and prayed to the Lord. I think symbolically, this is something that we should do every day of our lives. Not literally, uh, like in the story, but you know, when we are on a path and we need help, we, we should ask for help and guidance. Not that we're going to be delivered uh, a nice, free, beautiful automobile or bags of money or a plate of food, but we will be given the guidance to find and be able to accomplish for ourselves 
those things that we need in our lives. And I'm also a firm believer in the fact that once we've exhausted all that we can do through our hard work and we're continuing to work towards those things, constant labor to try and accomplish things you need, you will be taken care of with the things that are out of your control. You can't fall down and ask for a new automobile. And that's where I believe people have gone wrong. They've asked for things that should be within their control to achieve on their own. You can't ask for success because you should be able to achieve that on your own. You can't ask for more money because that is achievable. That is within your power to achieve. But those things that are out of your power to achieve, that is where through your faith and through your own righteousness and through exhausting all that you can do to achieve those things, that is where your assistance lies. Sometimes you have to believe in a miracle because there are situations in all our lives where things are completely out of our control and we have to hope and pray for the best. And uh, I think that by concentrating on prayer or meditation or whatever you may call it, uh, great things can be accomplished. Constant works. That needs to be our focus, is the constant works. It's That is what is within our control. If you become disconcerted about a task before you even begin it, because there are so many items which are out of your control, you don't think that the task can be accomplishable, then, of course, you will receive no help. You You won't accomplish that task. Until you've put forth the effort and you've put forth the work and you've done everything you can to make it happen, you will receive no assistance. But be assured that when you do put forth that effort, the assistance will come. The three great tenets of Freemasonry are hope, faith, and charity. In that order, because first you have to have hope that you can accomplish a task. Then, by having hope, you will gain a faith in your ability. And then, charity. In charity, we can kind of use a different word. We can use service. It's the same thing, really. They're interchangeable. So, after acquiring hope and then obtaining a faith within yourself, you can accomplish the service or charity to accomplish the task. And and Jephthah was performing a service and doing a, a charity to the people of Gilead. He, of course, he did, he got some some reward for it. He was the leader of their people. He became a judge of Israel, but he also saved Gilead from defeat. He saved these people. He went forth and served the people, and it goes to show there 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 is no reason that you cannot gain from these things. You don't have to be penniless and poor and, and homeless to go out and serve fellow man. You, you can achieve great things for yourself at the same time, but you can't lose sight of the fact that you need to serve your fellow man. That needs to come first and foremost, and any, any gains that you can make from it should not be the focal point of that either. Um, Jephthah did not want harassment from this enemy anymore, didn't want his people to be concerned with the Ephraimites coming and harassing them. I'm sure he could protect his house from being burned down with them. He was in control of the army. He could station troops. He would have been fine, but it wouldn't have stopped the harassment of his land. So he had to defeat the entire army of the Ephraimites. He had to remove them because they had shown themselves to, to be an untrustworthy people. Many of you will look at this story and view the bloodshed as unnecessary, or that the view Jotha as a violent person. 
and I disagree with this. He did his duty. We all have our duty in life. Some are warriors, some are administrators, some are priests, some are devotees. We all have a skill and a duty to accomplish in this life. And that doesn't mean that one is wrong or one is right. It just is what you have to do. And I'm going to go to the East just for a moment. And it's interesting because in, in India, in the Mahabharata, in the section of the Mahabharata, you have the Bhagavad Gita, which is the epic tale or the conversation between Krishna, God, and Arjuna, a warrior. And Arjuna was, is commanded by Krishna to go kill his brothers who have become evil and must perish. And Arjuna is hesitant. These are my brothers. These are my fellow man. I, I cannot kill them. And Krishna stops him and, and, and says, No, you will do it because I have told you to do it. This is not something you're deciding. I have decided this. And you must do what must be done. And you must not think of the consequences. Righteousness is the only path. And the consequence of not completing the task at hand is failure. But we can't always be sulking about the outcome of a situation that it hurts certain people. There, there will always be situations in which people get hurt, and that is very unfortunate. But that is life. But each person has a duty to, to accomplish what they must accomplish. A police officer at times may have to shoot someone. A Marine or someone in the Air Force is going to have to kill someone to defend their country. This is very unfortunate, but it is the necessity of our society that demands these things. And it's not for the individual soldier or the police officer to determine if this war is right or not. They have a duty to accomplish. So accomplish the duty that has been given to you. It, it is the right, uh, living in a democratic society as we are, it, it is our right to determine when things are right and when they're wrong. But there is a due process for these things. There, and there is a time when it, it is not yours to ask why. It, it is not yours to ask why you must do these things. Sometimes when you are directed from a higher power, whether it's a government official that you have appointed or it's the, you're the Lord God himself, you must simply do these things with a faith that the outcome will be favorable. Um, you know, if you do disagree with these things, then it's your time to ponder after you have completed the tasks that have been put in front of you. If you disagree with the way things have come out, then you need to change them. But what is necessary to accomplish at this point in time cannot be ignored. And of course, in our society, we have the freedom to choose whether to be in the army or to believe, be a police officer. But if you choose to be in those positions, when you're accepting the outcome of the decision you've made. And so then you are now obedient to certain people to accomplish certain tasks. And then you must reflect afterward on of whether those were good or bad, or like Brother Buggy says. But by accepting those positions, there is a duty, and you must accomplish that duty. And I think one of the most important mottos of Freemasonry is do your duty no matter the consequence. Well, thank you for listening to this month's episode of Legends of the Craft. It's been great to hear uh, all the input that uh, you guys have been giving us. And uh, we've had a lot of people downloading the podcast, which is... Um, just wonderful. Yeah, we've been very pleasantly surprised by the uh, response out there. We definitely weren't expecting uh, as many of you to to find our our show as quickly as you did and uh, to enjoy it as much as you have. And uh, thanks for all of your support out there. Um, next month, we're going to be talking about the uh, some of our brethren who are the liberators of South America. It's uh, 
one of those stories again that a lot of people don't know, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll be able to learn something as we will as we research the subject. We've also gotten a new domain name, MasonicLegends.org. Please check it out. We'll have eventually transcripts and additional information on our episodes, a place for you guys to uh, post comments and contact us. And um, if you want to, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you on suggestions for our show, uh, comments, anything you want to tell us, we want to hear it, negative or positive. So send us an email to info at MasonicLegends.org. This has been Legend of the Craft. We hope you've been inspired, and we'll tune in next month for more myths and legends of Freemasonry.